Hello friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day, and we're glad you joined us here for the conversation. We're studying the book of Romans and learning how the power of the gospel impacts every part of our lives. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends. Appreciate you joining us for today's episode of Everyday Truth as we just go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And our goal, I have about 25 books of the Bible done, uh, but we're just releasing them more slowly on YouTube. So you'll see them uh, as time progresses, a good library of uh, Bible books uh, there on the channel. But right now, we're going through the book of Romans. What a great book it's been. And we've just been walking with the Apostle Paul, talking about the themes of man's sinfulness, God's grace, God's willingness to save us uh, through the good news of the gospel, uh, the way, the means by which you and I can access the very righteousness of God. We can be declared righteous when we put our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. So we've seen that that contrast, haven't we, throughout the book of Romans between faith and works, faith and works, and it's been amazing how the Apostle Paul has cited some great Old Testament examples of faith. Salvation has always been by faith, uh, by grace, through faith. Always has been. In fact, that's the whole argument that is made in chapter 3 and chapter 4 when we see the testimony of people like Abraham and David. And now here we are in chapter 9 where some of the Jewish readers uh, of the letter in Rome might be thinking, but wait a minute, I thought God selected us as the special curators of the gospel. I thought that God chose us to be the ones that would distribute the the, the Messiah. Uh, he came from the line of Abraham, obviously, and the gospel message itself. And yet it seems as if the Jews as a corporate entity have rejected Messiah. And there are relatively few Jewish believers and has God given up on us? Are God's promises indeed not true? Did we miss something? And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Rome to show the Jews, oh no, no, God very specifically used you, your nation, and individuals in your nation to give Messiah and to give this wonderful message. And even though many are hardened to it now, there's yet hope. There's yet hope for Israel. God has not given up on her. Uh, there's a future and there's a plan. And then Gentiles, wow, what a privilege that you can enter into this wonderful benefit uh, of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And God has chosen to include you too. I think uh, last episode, I made the statement that God has chosen to use exclusivity. He chose just a few for special service so that through that exclusive choice or choice as, he can be inclusive, that the whole world can have the message of the gospel. What a great God we serve. So here we are in Romans 9. And we finished, I think, last episode with that statement in verse number 12, which is actually a quotation 
from the last book of our Old Testament, the book of Malachi. And it says in verse number, I'm sorry, verse number 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And very clearly in Malachi chapter one, and we we talked about this last episode, very clearly that's a reference to the nation uh, born out of Jacob's loins and the, the nation that came as a result of Esau, Edom, and how God dealt with them respect, respectively. And we pointed out the meaning of the word hate. Uh, it doesn't mean hate in the sense that we use the word hate today, but uh, I, I favored Jacob. Jacob was my choice through whom the line would come, specifically the line of Messiah. So we've made the point that election is not a matter of salvation. It's not that God arbitrarily chose some people to be saved. And then if you adopt the double predestination view that he decided before people were even born that some people would be reprobate, that some people would be damned to hell. No, not not at all. Uh, the, The term election here in Romans chapter nine clearly refers to God's choice for special service and what special service the Jewish people had. I think that's the reference back to verse number four, all those privileges that God gave his people. Uh, And yet our understanding of the Old Testament, our perusal of the Old Testament demonstrates that the Jewish people that were were trumpeting God's word, that were uh, preaching the truth, were almost always in the minority. Have you noticed that? Hence the prophets who are these individuals in the Bible vested, chosen by God for special service to warn God's people. So now, when I say now, in Paul's day, when it seemed like so many of the Jews are not understanding and so many uh, have their eyes darkened and so many uh, have rejected Christ and it's leaving this big question mark, it's really not that much different than every other season in Jewish history where this privileged people group selected by God corporately to be the ones that would would bring Messiah to the world have actually rejected the Messiah that came through them. And that's the irony of all of it. So election is a matter of corporate, not individual primarily. It's not to say that God does not select individuals for special service. He does. And it's a matter of service, not salvation. It's interesting. My Calvinist friends would all admit that the quotations that Paul cites, whether it be the quotation of God's word to Rebekah or God's word to the nation through Malachi, they would readily attest that those are not The Old Testament context is not a matter of God choosing people to an effectual call to salvation in in the sense of justification, but rather a choice to call them to service. So in the context of the quoted verses, it refers to service. And yet somehow, some way, people come up with this idea that, well, that's not what the Apostle Paul meant. He actually is using the meaning of those verses in a different way now because he's applying election to salvation and nothing could be farther from the truth. Watch what it says in verse number 14, uh, where the Bible says, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? 
God forbid. Absolutely not. Perish that thought. You know, is God unrighteous because he chooses to use some people for special, unique purposes and not use other people? Like he chose Isaac, not Ishmael. He chose the younger son, Jacob, not Esau. Is that is that wrong? Is that not fair? You know, who are we to label God as unfair or unrighteous? Even when to our own modern sensibilities, we might think, well, that that's not fair. He should have given both of them a chance, you know, equality. Um, but, you know, we can't hold God to our faulty sense of righteousness or our faulty sense of fairness. You know, God always does right. And while we might not understand what he's doing in the moment, he's doing what's right. That's why uh, this whole section, Romans 9, 10, and 11, ends with just a doxology to the Lord to say his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He he is, is in control. And the sovereign control of God doesn't mean that God has to decree every choice you make. No, that would actually be a relatively weak God. No, sovereignty means God allows you to make your choices. And yet, even with all of the multifarious choices of all the people in all of history, God still can work all things together according to his plan. That, my friends, is sovereignty. So look at verse number 14 again. So what should we say? Is there unrighteousness with God? Of course not. Of course not. Look at verse number 15. For he saith to Moses... And what we're going to find now in verses 15 through 19 is an example of Moses and Pharaoh. So when Paul cites these Old Testament examples, what we have to understand is he is expecting for his biblically literate audience to know these stories, to know the context, because he's just referencing them. He's not just referencing things out of a hat. No, he's speaking to Jews who would understand God's covenant community, who would understand these central stories to the narrative, like coming out of Egypt. So watch the the argument here, verse number 15. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. In other words, it's God's free choice. Uh, I choose to exercise mercy. I choose to extend compassion. Look at verse number 16. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. So just like we talked about with election, God doesn't extend his mercy because we've done something to deserve it. That would actually defy the actual definition of mercy. Mercy is God not doing to us what we deserve for him to do. He's withholding that wrath. He's withholding his righteous indignation. So the point here is it's not my desire. Lord, I just don't want you to do this. You know, I'm passionate about this. I will this or my works. I think that's what's referenced there when it says runneth. So it's not your passion. It's not your works that invite the mercy of God. No, God makes a choice to have mercy in spite of those things. I read in the next chapter, Romans chapter 10, the Jews had a zeal for God. Uh, They went about to establish their own righteousness. Boy, they were passionate people. They were hard workers 
They were fastidiously trying to keep the law best they could, but those were not means by which God would then save them or show his salvation mercy upon them. No, no. And so mercy was that contingent on those factors. Now, that's not to say that God does not have a rationale for why he chooses to demonstrate mercy. Uh, The Bible says, he that confesseth his sins shall have mercy. So I think that I could make a case that God does show mercy to uh, humble people, to people that put their faith in him, that ask for forgiveness. I think Psalm 51 is a great example of that. Look at verse number 17, where the scripture is actually quoted. And it says, for the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose, have I raised thee up that I might show my power in thee and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. So God used Pharaoh for a purpose. We, we've established that. Look, look at verse number 18. Therefore, hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardeneth. And that's a hard thing to hear, no pun intended, because if we read that verse uh, I think uh, unthinkingly and out of context, we might look at that and say, oh, so that means that God, absent people's choice, without them having anything to do with it, before they're even born, says, okay, I am going to not let that person believe on me. I'm going to harden them. I'm going to make them rebellious to the gospel. I'm going to make them, I'm not going to allow them to see it. Well, that would be, uh, that to me, that would be a horrific thing. And John Piper, and I like John Piper, but he actually says this. He actually says that God has determined the rebellion of certain people so that they will deservedly die in their sins and go to hell. That's a hard thing. And I don't believe for a moment that's what the scripture is teaching. Now, did God harden Pharaoh? Yes, he did. And perhaps we should do a separate Bible study on this, but to stay in our context, sure he did. He did harden Pharaoh. Pharaoh. There we go. But he didn't harden Pharaoh against Pharaoh's will. No, he hardened Pharaoh in accordance with Pharaoh's will. So to harden Think about that if clay hardens, because we're going to use that illustration here in a couple of verses. What that means is it is now set in its shape. It's set in its ways. So the Bible teaching that God hardened Pharaoh is not a matter of saying Pharaoh really wanted to listen to God. Pharaoh really wanted to obey God, but God wouldn't let him. That's not what that's teaching. What it's teaching is that Pharaoh denied God. He did not listen to the reproofs of God. He was dead set against letting God's people go. And so God allowed that disposition to be set in Pharaoh's life. The Bible never tells us how he hardens him. It might just be that the uh, reproofs of Moses and the continual word of God itself caused Pharaoh to harden himself. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck. 
shall suddenly be destroyed, the Bible says. So maybe it was just the constant, no, you're wrong, you're wrong, let my people go, that hardened him. Because that's what pride does. It hardens itself against. So who hardened whom? Well, Pharaoh chose to harden himself. God hardened Pharaoh, but in accordance with what Pharaoh already wanted to do. So can they both be true? Of course they can. And the point here is this, that Pharaoh, uh, if you're not going to honor me, if you're not going to respond to me, then I can still use your life in my plan and for my purpose. God can use our bad choices, our rebellious choices, even our forsaking his word choices for his glory. Either way, God wins. So the point here is that God chose to use Pharaoh's bad set testimony for his honor and for his glory. There should be no issue with that, that God can use our good choices for his glory and often does and can use our bad choices for his glory and can set us in those ways. I think about while well, we're out of time, but let me give me a couple extra minutes. I think about Romans chapter one. That's exactly what God said. And Paul's been over this already. Remember, when they knew God, they, they glorified him not as God. You know, they, they suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. And how did God set them in their ways in that sense? How did God harden these sinful people that chose idolatry over God, knowingly chose to resist God? How, how did God set them in their ways? He gave them their way. God gave them up unto uncleanness. He gave them over to their own lusts. A way by which God hardens sinners is by letting sinners have what they want. And they become that much more hardened and entrenched in their behavior. And that's the teaching here. Look at verse number 18 again. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy and whom he will, he hardeneth. I hope that made sense. Um, we're going to stop there. Wow, I want to keep on going. But uh, there's much more to say on verse number 19. So let's hold our finger there. I know we've got uh, some time before our next episode, but... Uh, See if uh, you can hang in. Uh, come on back next episode and we'll pick it up right in verse number 19. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, take a moment to subscribe or share the podcast with a friend. Until next time, God bless.